Seven angels with seven plagues. I saw in heaven another great and marvellous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring, you, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All, na all nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came seven angels with se se the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Thanks. Uh, as I said before, great to be back with you and um, uh, really glad that uh, Chris asked me to jump in on the Revelation series. <laughs> uh, I am actually, this is a wonderful passage uh, and Revelation's full of great comforts, even with all of its challenges. So um, I'm also glad to be back in um, cloudy, rainy uh, old gates, so it's lovely. Uh, one of the striking things about living down in Victor is uh, by the ocean, you kind of see the weather roll over um, and it, you can kind of see it in a really dramatic kind of a way. Sometimes it's pretty dramatic. Sometimes you get these stark contrasts down there. So occasionally, uh, normally it's kind of just windy all the time, uh, but occasionally you get these um, really stormy nights a full-on wind and rain, followed by this dead calm the next morning. And you go out and the, the ocean is kind of just glassy. The raging waves have been turned into this sea of crystal. Um, you get something like that. You get something like that here in this chapter in Revelation 15. The whole, the whole section, I, uh, you've been in the storm uh, over, the last, uh, over this period. The whole section is pretty wild, right? There's, there's kind of a, it's a stormy kind of section in Revelation. It's full of the judgment of God. It's got beasts and dragons and wrath and blood. But right at the heart of this chapter, of chapter 15, there's this scene of calm, of peace, and not, and not a chaotic, dangerous ocean, but a sea of glass. And not just of peace, it's a scene of joy. A scene of joy. Now, people singing their hearts out with amazed thankfulness and joy and praise to God. Well, I wonder how you've gone over these last weeks looking through this section of Revelation. How have you responded to it, kind of intellectually, trying to get your head around what's going on, but also uh, emotionally in your own hearts and 
how you kind of have responded to all of these things. Maybe you've been a bit overwhelmed, a bit nervous, a bit confused, perhaps even a little angry, or you know, it's just worth kind of asking yourself that, noticing those kind of responses. Well, I think, friends, this chapter and this vision that we're given here is such a gift. It's such a gift because it shows us what one day our response will be if we are those who belong to the Lamb. If you have had your robes washed and made white through his blood, if you have been rescued from your slavery to the forces of darkness and brought into his wonderful light, if by God's power you patiently endure and remain faithful to Jesus, hopefully all familiar kind of themes that you've looked at through Revelation, if that's you, when, when you are faced with the final judgment of God on all evil and sin, this is what you will sing. And by God's grace, this is what you can sing, not just then, but today, actually as by his spirit your heart and your mind is shaped by his word. I'm just gonna pray for us and then we'll dive in. So just join me in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you. We thank you that we are not left alone in this world with all its chaos, with all its darkness, with all its disappointment and grief, but that you have come to us. You have come to us most wonderfully in the person of Jesus Christ, our lamb who was slain, who has opened up for us the way to be right with you, to have a relationship with you. Thank you that we are covered by his blood. And thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us alone, but give us your word. Help each of us, Father, to humble ourselves before your word, to receive it, to delight in it, and live in its light pray for this for your glory and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so um, uh, Revelation, uh, written to a bunch of Christians who are under extreme pressure. Um, you would have seen that, the extreme pressure from the world around them, the culture around them was kind of insisting that they compromise their faith, their allegiance to Jesus as Lord's and what Revelation really, uh, what Revelation was written to them to do and to us to do, to Christians in every age, is to help us endure, to stay the line, to stay faithful to Christ, no matter what, no matter what pressure comes from outside to deny him. Because in the end, Jesus wins. I know that's something that um, uh, you've kind of been th looking at and seeing coming out of Revelation. There's lots of debate about Revelation, but that's really the main burden of this. Jesus wins. So look to him. Stick with him. Uh, one way Revelation shows this is through this series of visions that are given to uh, the Apostle John, uh, which, which you've been looking at this term. Uh, one way I've found helpful to think about these visions, it's a, it's a little bit like screen printing. So um, one of the troubles we can have with Revelation is that we can sort of assume uh, it has to be a logical, sequential argument or, or narrative. Uh, but what's going on in this style of writing, this, what's, what's being presented, what God is doing here, is he's painting a picture. It's like he's weaving this huge tapestry. Uh, you know how um, screen printing works? You have one pass in one colour, 
Then you go over the same area, but in a different color, adding other details and sort of filling it out more and more. And eventually, once you've added in all the color and all the details, then you get the whole picture. And each of these visions, it's, it's as if we're getting one more pass of the screen printing on this painting. Uh, it's covering the same area, but adding new colors, new details, slightly different focuses going on. Um, so you've had these visions of life between when John's writing this and the return of Jesus. Uh, and it's just, each one is like this, uh, this new pass of the screen prints. What we're looking at today and in next, next week in chapter 16, I think that's kind of where you're going up to in this series. It's like, it's like the final pass of the screen print in this section. Um, and, uh, and, and so let's, let's dive in. If you've got your Bibles, that'll be helpful. I think it'll be on the screen too. Um, as we look at this final pass, this, this sign of seven plagues. Verse one says this. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them God's wrath is completed. So you've already looked at, there's been seven seals that have been opened up. Um, the unveiling of God's judgments in history. Then there's been seven trumpets, remember those? Warning us that God's judgments are real and serious. Uh, now in this kind of last pass of the screen print, um, we see these plagues, which show not just the kind of unveiling of God's judgment or the warning about God's judgment, but the actual outpouring of God's judgments. Uh, that's why it says God's wrath is completed with these. The picture has been building to this so that now God's judgments are not just kind of unveiled or warned about, now we actually see them poured out. Uh, the full picture of God's wrath is painted onto the canvas. Um, but notice, did you notice these judgments here in this sign are pictured as plagues? They're pictured as plagues. And if you know kind of the, the story of the Bible, the big picture of how it all fits together, you'll, that should be ringing bells for you uh, at this point. That should be ringing bells. It, it's meant to take us back to another key moment in the Bible when God's wrath was also poured out. Uh, in the Exodus, right back of the Bible's second book, um, God rescued his people from, their, from the dark and enslaving force of Pharaoh and Egypt. And he did that by pouring out on them a series of plagues uh, onto Egypt. And, and those plagues built, kind of each time, if you know the story, Pharaoh, the, the plague comes, Pharaoh refuses to repent. Uh, his heart is hard towards God. And this goes on and on until this final plague, where the plague of the firstborn, where God took the life of every firstborn son in Egypt. Uh, the only way out of that, the only way out of that was for a lamb to be killed instead, and its blood smeared over the doorpost of their homes. You remember this. When God saw the blood of the lamb, he passed over that house. Now all of that, there's so much richness there, all of that is kind of woven together and included here as we look at these visions in Revelation. It's sort of picked up. As God's people are saved by the blood of the true and greater lamb from our true and greater enemies. Uh, so that Exodus background is really strong. It's an important thing all through this chapter. 
Um, so jump down to the, to the last section. We're going to skip over the middle bit for now. We'll come back to it. Um, but this Exodus-like judgment of God on his enemies, it gets picked up again in verse 5. Um, this time, it's, what's in focus is uh, this temple or tabernacle. So uh, verse 5, after this I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So did you pick up that, that language of temple or tabernacle? Uh, Back in Exodus, it's another kind of link back there, back in Exodus, actually the whole book builds towards the building of this thing called the tabernacle, this, this tabernacle which would later become the temple in Jerusalem. At the heart of this tabernacle, this tent that moved around with them, at the heart of it was the Ten Commandments, so the tablets of God's covenant law that he gave to Moses. So the whole goal of that Exodus, when God brought them out of Egypt, the whole goal of it was that God saved his people from slavery so they might worship him. So they might worship him. So he could dwell with them in their midst. And there's this dramatic scene right at the end of Exodus when God's visible presence, this great cloud full of thunder and lightning, when God's visible presence moves from the mountain onto the tabernacle. And no one can enter this tabernacle because the cloud was settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So that's back in Exodus. You're picking up the parallels here, right? Now John sees this heavenly tabernacle opened and these judgments being brought out of it by seven angels and with seven golden bowls. Did you notice the angels are pure as we read through? Um, that's, that's the point of them being dressed in this bright, what, uh, clean linen, um, golden sashes. The judgments they carry are righteous and holy. And notice too, just like in Exodus, when God's presence comes like this, is manifested on this tabernacle, when God's presence is there, his glory is inaccessible. <laughs> No one can go into it. No one can enter until his judgment is poured out. The picture we're given here in, in, this, in Revelation 15 is of the absolute certainty of the judgments of God. The absolute certainty, they are unstoppable and irreversible. Uh, that's what you'll be focusing in on next week as you keep reading about these plagues that are poured out of these golden bowls. Um, it is sobering stuff. But where, where you'll get to that next week, uh, where I want to go is actually that little bit, the sandwich in the middle here. So flick your eyes back up to um, verse two. This song that seems a little out of place. Uh, there's been singing already through Revelation, right? So back in chapter five, I uh, know you didn't look at that this time, but back in chapter five, um, 
Uh, we've already heard praise sung to the Lamb. So there's like 10,000 times 10,000 angels. It's a vision of them singing praise to the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then a couple of verses later, every creature under heaven is singing praise to the Lamb. They say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You would have seen last week also in chapter 14, there's a new song that the redeemed people of God sing. And what we're given here in these, couple of, in these few verses, right in the middle of this chapter, uh, is, well, this new song is given words. We're kind of seeing, filled in on what this song is. So John looks in verse two, and what does he see? And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image, and over the number of its name. In Exodus, after God's people were brought out from slavery in Egypt, uh, even then Pharaoh hardens his heart again and he sort of rallies his army and goes after them to wipe them out and, or to bring them back to keep, keep them enslaved. But if you know the story, you know God brings his people through the sea and miraculously destroys the armies of Egypt. Now, just imagine being with them, with God's people, at that, right at that, after that moment, after hundreds of years of slavery and oppression, brought out in this incredible, powerful way, miraculously going through this sea and then seeing, seeing it destroy your enemies after you, imagine sort of turning around, seeing Pharaoh's chariots swallowed up and destroyed in the sea that you had just passed through, and now it's all calm. It might take you a while to let it sink in, but eventually, you, as you're standing there, you realize, we're free. We're free. God has won. God has won. Well, friends, as terrifying as Pharaoh was, and he was a, he was a pretty bad dude, right? Like, he's pretty terrifying. As terrifying as Pharaoh was, he's just one example of a much deeper and darker reality. That's what's pictured in Revelation uh, back in chapter 13 that you've already looked at, this beast coming up out of the sea. Um, in the ancient world, the sea is like a symbol of chaos and evil. It's a place of darkness and threats. And this beast rises up out of this churning sea. It's a symbol for, the beast itself is, is like a symbol for any force on this earth that rises up against God and his purposes. Anything that seeks to oppress and destroy his church. But even the beast, as terrifying as that was, if, there's another character if you remember. Even he was like an emissary of a far darker and even worse character, the dragon, back in chapter 12 who we find is actually standing by the sea as this beast comes roaring up out of it. Sort of as if he's calling it out. But again back there, you, we're told how these people are victorious over these terrifying monsters. Uh, if, it's not on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you can flick back to 12 verse 11 and see how is it that these people 
are victorious over this, the, this dragon and this beast. They triumph by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Friends, the Israelites, they were victors, right? They were victorious over Pharaoh and his army. But it wasn't because they were impressive in and of themselves. It wasn't because of the strength of their great faith or their great power of character. Or... It was because of God's incredible grace to them and his power to save them and bring them out And it's the same here in Revelation 15. This victorious people of God are victorious not because they are impressive in and of themselves, but because they have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb who has won their victory. They they testify to him. They bear witness to Jesus and his victory. And that's, that's, he is how they overcome and how they're victors. And now, how wonderful. The sea with all its chaos and darkness and terror is no longer that, but is calm, as clear as crystal and glowing like fire, glowing with fire. And just like back in Exodus, this people stand by the Well, back in Exodus, they stood by the Red Sea um, and Moses led them in song. Uh, Just as a kind of quick aside, um, this is God's timing. We're going through Exodus at the moment uh, down in Victor um, and Chris is preaching on this passage today in Victor Harbour from Exodus, Exodus 15. Uh, So I just thought that was pretty neat. Um, God's got good timing. But this... So back then, they stood by the sea. Moses led them in this song of praise because of their redemption that they had received. And here, in Revelation, these people sing too. It, it's a song that is kind of draws from across the Old Testament, but it's called the Song of Moses and of the Lamb. It's like Moses' song, but transposed into a new key, the key of the Lamb. It's a song flowing out of the fulfillment of God's saving grace and power in Jesus. Here's what they sing. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Just leave that up there. Notice what it is that these redeemed saints praise God for. They are overwhelmed by the rightness of everything God has done. His deeds are great and marvelous and just and true and righteous. The whole world will see it. All nations will see it because he alone is holy, white hot in his purity and goodness 
And when his judgments are revealed, no one will be able to say anything against him. They will be totally good and totally right. But do you notice too, this redeemed people of God, they don't just kind of grudgingly sing this song. Okay, sure, of course you're right, God, you know, like, they don't, it's not a begrudging kind of song. They don't just accept it as some unfortunate reality. The rightness of God's judgments is wonderful to them. And it leads them to praise. It leads them to praise. Well, I just want, to, want us to reflect just briefly about how, uh, how we're going sort of responding to all this, how you feel about all this. I reckon we can be quite different to the um, kind of picture of praise that we see here at the righteous judgments of God. Uh, it's easy, isn't it? I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I suspect more than me. We can be reluctant or quiet about God's judgments perhaps even a bit embarrassed, perhaps resistant, or even angry or hard in our hearts towards it. Well, friends, I want to suggest that deep down, all of us actually, at the end of the day, all of us long for the judgment of God. All of us actually, at the end of the day, long for the judgment of God. Because a world without it, a world without the judgment of God is a world where evil wins. Where the pharaohs of this world are not brought to account for their oppression and violence. When sickness and brokenness are ultimately victorious, it's a world where the beast continues to wage war and bring chaos and darkness and death. A world without the judgment of God is a world without hope. It's a world without hope. But there's this, this tension that's kind of weaved through back in Exodus. It's actually a tension that kind of you see all through the Bible. How can God judge the evil of this world without also wiping out the people who caused that evil? See that tension? How can any of us actually come under the judgment of the one who back in Exodus is revealed as Yahweh, the one who is who he is, who will be who he will be? How can any of us come under his judgment, the God of holy fire, and survive? God has to judge a sinful world because of his justice but when, as we saw at the end of this chapter, when the temple is opened and his glory shown and his judgments are poured out, who can stand? Who could stand? And what Revelation shows us so wonderfully, and this passage brings to our, the forefront, is that there are those who do stand. There are those who do stand, who are victorious. Not in their own strength, 
but because they have been passed over because the blood of the perfect lamb was shed in their place. And so, friends, we do have, we do have a world of hope. A world of hope, of bright hope, that evil will finally be defeated once and for all. So why don't I long for that? Why don't you long for that? Perhaps it's because we haven't let ourselves be opened up to just the reality of the chaos and darkness of this world, of the destructive power of the beast, of the slavery that we are really in without Christ. But we are not without Christ. We are not without Christ. His blood liberates us from all of that and brings us through the chaos to stand at the shore of the crystal sea, calm and glowing with fire. We have his victory given to us so that we are victorious too. I just want to point one more thing out before kind of drawing this to, to, um, to a close. Do you notice as we've read through uh, the end of the chapter there how the judgments go out through these angels? Where do they come out from? If you look down there, you'll notice they come out from the temple, this tabernacle, which is also kind of the temple. Now this is where it's helpful to um, be, uh, like the Bible's made to be read and reread and reread. And Revelation's one of those books too. So it's helpful to have a sense of the whole. Towards the end of Revelation, chapter 21, that's kind of the, a vision of the final consummation of all of God's good plans. We're told this really interesting thing. We're told that there is no temple in this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. We're told there is no temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, there's so much there we can't get into, but I just want to point out one thing. The temple was always a sign pointing to Jesus, the holy God come to dwell with us. And it is Jesus, the true temple, from whom these judgments come. They come from him. And that makes all the difference. It makes all the difference the one who calls all people to come to him and find rest, to be forgiven, to find life and love, is the same one who is committed to destroying all evil and death and sin. The same, the same one who is both of those things together, the two go together, there is a sobering and chilling reality to the judgment of God in view in these chapters. But alongside that, at the same time, and actually intertwined with it, inseparable from it, it's the incredible mercy of God in the gospel. The lamb has been slain so that anyone who trusts in him, who is covered by his blood, 
will be passed over in that judgment and will be brought through the sea to sing his praises. So this passage, friends, it's not just meant to tune our hearts to long for God to set this world right through judgment. It, it, does, it should spur us on to that. But it should also spur us on to pray and work towards many, many others standing there with us by the shores of the sea on that last day. Because as we saw in that last section, judgment is inevitable. Um, It's unstoppable and it's good because it comes from a good and holy righteous God. But unless you take shelter, the shelter that God provides in the gospel, you will be swept up in it too. So take shelter if you haven't already Put your faith in the lamb slain for you. Come under his loving protection and pray that God would equip you and give you opportunities to invite this world to join you in singing his praises on that last day. I think what this vision does is it gives us, it actually gives us a wonderful, positive, bright hope to invite people into. That's what we do when we share the gospel. We're inviting people to be standing there with us by this sea on that last day, singing the praises of the holy and righteous God whose ways are just and true and right. We can have a foretaste of that now, actually, as we sing together in a moment. No? Later on. Later on. Uh, but I might just pray for us as we, as we move on. Our gracious God, please work within our hearts and our minds so that we long for what you long for. We will be standing, singing your praises by the shore of the glassy sea as we see all evil and sin destroyed. Lord, we pray that by your spirit you would equip us to to call and invite as many as we can to be with us on that day. Fill us with longing for that day too, our Father. And we pray this so that your great gospel will continue to be shared and lived out among us and through us. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.